and welcome to episode 143 of the NFL Scotland podcast. We are but a week away from the 2021 NFL Draft. Good grief, I'm excited. My name is Cameron Hobbs. You'll have to watch yourself. You're getting on in years, remember. We'll tweet about that this week. My name is Paul Mitch. I'm delighted that Cameron is still sober pre-birthday to be able to talk about all things draft. And Cameron, what a guest we've got lined up tonight. Yes, indeed. And let's go straight to him right now. So we're absolutely delighted to be joined as we really get into full draft season now. Um, Joined by a man that knows a thing or two about this sort of thing. And we're very excited to have him here on the NFL Scotland podcast. He is the executive director for Reese's Senior Bowl. He is an ESPN NFL draft analyst. He's an 18-year NFL scout, a six-time Super Bowl participant, four-time Super Bowl champ. And he went to Michigan. We need to speak to you about David Ajabo before this is over. Please welcome Jim Nagy. <laughs> Hello, Jim. Hey, guys. Appreciate, appreciate you having me on. Good to be on over there. This is great. So absolutely delighted to have you join us. First of all, let's cover a little bit about what you do in your day job. Executive Director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. What does that entail? Yeah, just a big picture overview. We are, we are um, you know, kind of the premier college football all-star game here in the States. Uh, you know, we, we have a staff just like the teams do. We've got a full scouting staff. We, we scout these players through their junior years, going into their senior year, and and we, and we pick the best. Uh, we bring the best of the best from college football together so they can come here to Mobile, Alabama and compete on the field for a week. And, and we've got all 32 teams coming to Mobile, all the top decision makers and scouts and coaches. Uh, we have three practices during the week, and then we have a game on Saturday um, kind of showcasing these players and their talents. And they, the teams have an opportunity to, to spend a lot of time with these players during the week, interviews, things of that nature. Uh, we do have two NFL staffs every year that come coach the game. Um, it usually they go by the, the, the league office, the NFL league office appoints our coaching staffs and they kind of go by the draft order. So um, the only rule there is uh, the teams need to have a full staff in place to come down and coach our game. So the teams that are having coaching turnover, that they're, they're kind of out um, as options for, for that year. So like this year, we had the Miami Dolphins who were, who were picking at three at the time before they made the trade. And we had the Carolina Panthers who are, who are still sitting at, at eight at the number eight pick spot. So um, yeah, just a, a 10,000 foot view. That's, that's what we are. Jim, what was your own route into scouting? What, what was the path that you took? Yeah, you know, grew up around the game. My dad was a coach, uh, you know, played it all growing up, got to college. My only opportunities to play were, were small schools here in the States, um, not big schools. Um, and I went to Michigan and, uh, you know, when I got out of college, uh, I just sent resumes out to all the different teams and, and I uh, got lucky. I got one call from the Green Bay Packers. Um, and so I got my foot in the door there. And then just like any occupation, you get your foot in the door and you make the right connections. Um, and, and sometimes good things happen. So, you know, got on the scouting track and, and did that for, like you said, for 18 years and uh, had a great career there. And then the Mobile, I've uh, been in Mobile, Alabama, where the Senior Bowl is for, for quite some time now. It's my wife's hometown. So we were here raising our kids. And uh, when this job came open, it was, it was uh, too good to, to at least not go after. I had, to, I had to throw my hat in the ring there. And uh, really, really grateful that it worked out. Uh, it's been a great experience. And um, it really it came down to a family decision. Uh, my kids are getting older. And, and uh, when you're on the road 200 nights a year, 175 nights a year it, it, scouting, it's, it's tough on a family. So um, this has been a great transition. I still get to do what I love to do. And that's watch football players and evaluate. 
um, and then also take on a number of different roles in this in this job. So um, it's it's been a great experience. Now, draft season is one of those times where you hear so much information. Uh, and, and as some people, you know, certainly in the UK, there's a lot of knowledgeable fans, but there's definitely a lot of fans that are perhaps more light touch uh, fans of the game without necessarily knowing all the technical details. There's a lot of noise around the NFL draft, right? You hear a lot about yeah. what are the traits that are important? What's the things you got to look for? As an experienced scout yourself and as the person who's, uh, you know, looking after the senior bowl, what are the most important traits for you when it comes to a player? Uh, you know, if we're just talking about blanket stuff, um, the, the, the NFL is a, it's a big man's league. It's, it's big, fast, you know, big, big, fast, tough, strong. Um, so there's, there's some genetics behind it for sure. Uh, depending on every position there, there's standards that every team like to see a certain guy come in at from a height, weight, speed perspective. Um, and then you got to go to the tape and you got to look at the skill level at each player, um, what the demands of each position are. Um, you know, instincts are a huge part of, the, uh, of any sport, uh, I believe. And so instincts play a, a huge part in it as well. I mean, when all that, when all those things come together, um, then you've got a good football player. And then the other part, again, that's get nit, gets nitpicked through the, the pre-draft process a little bit. And sometimes in the media, we don't know all these things, but it goes down to all the character things. I think that is the hardest part of scouting. Um, the more you do it, the more you watch the sport, whether it's basketball or, or, or uh, what we call soccer, uh, your football, um, you know, that's the easier part. When, once you have a trained eye for it, that's the easier part. The hardest part for, for you know, an NFL scout is what's that player going to be when he has a lot more time on his hands than he did in college and a lot more money in his pockets when he, when he has you know, than he had in college. And then all the, all the, out, all the outside factors too. So family and friends and, and how that impacts a guy. So, you know, the maturity level of a player really plays into his success at the next level. Um, so there, there's, there's all the factors, but, but really it goes down to, uh, you know, big, fast, strong and in uh, some instincts and then the, and then the character makeup. In terms of watching a player on the field, how, ex how exciting is it for you to see somebody for the first time and think they might have something? That's, that's my favorite part of the, of the whole process that I'm getting ready to get ready to jump into after this year's draft. We have a scouting staff here in the office that's already working ahead on, on the 2022 draft and our 2022 Senior Bowl. And I can't wait to play catch up on those guys. So to lay your eyes on the player for the very first time, it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a really fun process. And then to see him through, I um, mean, I think the other fun thing is w when you identify those guys the year before. So, that, you know, over the summer, we'll look at all the junior tape and then go to the senior tape and see guys that really make that big jump. You know, what guys level off and what guys, what guys make that big leap is seniors. Um, so that's always fun too. You love to see, this was a particularly interesting year with COVID. Um, you know, the, 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 the players weren't allowed to be around their teams. They weren't in the, in the weight room with the strength coaches at their schools. Um, so they had to be really creative in terms of how they were going to train in the off season, whether it's, you know, at home or in the garage at home or, um, you know, so it was really interesting to see what guys really made that jump in a COVID year. I thought it spoke a lot to those guys. If I was a team right now, I'd be putting a lot of stock in those guys that you saw that big improvement from because all the, you know, all the factors that played into a, a COVID offseason. So in terms of your senior bowl this year, who stood out for you? Who, who perhaps did themselves the biggest favors, if you like, and, and brought a bit more national attention to themselves? 
Uh, we this could be a really long podcast. Um, <laughs> there is a there is a lot of guys that, that really helped themselves. I think if you start at the top of the draft, I would say Mac Jones, the quarterback from Alabama. I think coming into Senior Bowl week, a lot of teams had him in that late first, maybe early second round area, and then just getting exposed to him for the week and watching how he operates and how quickly he picked things up. I mean, it's a challenge for the quarterbacks in this game because they are trying to learn an NFL playbook. I mean, albeit an abbreviated version, but they're still trying to learn new verbiage and, and new plays. And, and uh, you know, a lot of times in college football, you watch these guys, they, they get everything's from the shotgun. They don't get under center and take a snap. So there's that level of it. Um, and getting in a huddle and calling a play, like a lot of times in college, you now the players are all looking to the sideline and someone's holding up a cue card of what, what the play is. Um, so there's a lot that goes into the quarterback thing and Mac held, handled himself unbelievably. And now we've seen where Mac's sitting in the draft. He's, he's going to go somewhere in the top 10, maybe as high as his third overall to San Francisco. But I really think this, the story of this year's draft to me, the greatest story of this year's draft is Quinn miners um, from the a division three school, Wisconsin, Whitewater, for your listeners that don't know our college system, Division Three is the smallest schools we have over here that play football. Um, so if Alabama is the biggest and Clemson and Ohio State are the biggest, Wisconsin Whitewater is the, <laughs> the smallest. And so you can imagine the level of competition Quinn played at um, at that level. So, you know, before we invited Quinn, I, I do call friends around the NFL and really rely on them for feedback as well. We we don't have any ego in this. We really want to build these rosters for the guys they want to see. And nobody had a draftable grade on Quinn Miners. You know, I mean, it, they all saw him as a priority free agent, a guy that, you know, you could you, you'd love to get after the draft and could come in and develop. Um, but he didn't play in the fall. So he went out, he signed, an age, signed with an agent and worked with a personal offensive line coach. He got his body in much better shape. And uh, he came down here and was just phenomenal. And he, he, he was a guard. Um, he was a guard in college. He'd never snapped a football between his legs in his life in a competitive situation. And he comes down here and does it against the best of the best in, in our college football. And he does it at such a high level that now it sounds like he's, he might be a top 50 pick in the draft. So um, it's really an unprecedented jump to go from out of a seven round draft all the way up into the second round. Um, I don't know if we've ever seen it before. I, I certainly can't recall. Uh, a guy helping himself that much. And, and then you add on Quinn's personality. I think uh, he's become kind of a social media uh, Twitter legend at this point um, with the type of person he is. He's a, a gregarious guy and, and a whole bunch of fun. So um, that's kind of added to it as well. It's, it's a great story. How significant is it for coaches and also these players, someone like Quinn, to come into a situation and then find themselves playing alongside other players, guys that they haven't necessarily got that bond with. Uh, and then the, ex the example you've given there of Quinn obviously playing Division Three football, how much of an experience and a step up is it for him to come to the Senior Bowl and play with guys who've been at a much more elite level? Yeah, I think, I think, I think your first part um, about not being familiar with the guys around you, that, that's definitely the case for all these guys. And, and on a unit where cohesion is really important on the offensive line. That's that's a challenge. Um, and again, the position change for him from guard to center, that's that's a huge challenge as well that he that that he overcame. And 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 part of it too, guys, these these NFL teams, they want to know how open these players are to embracing that the challenge. You know, there we do have some players that come but come down and they try to make demands on where we play them at certain positions. Like they come down and say, I'm only playing left tackle. 
you know, whereas I think the league wants to know that I get a lot of those phone calls from guys in the league uh, who resisted, you know, who, who embraced the challenge of a new position and who resisted because they want the guys that are open-minded to it. Um, I, even if they don't show great on the field, it shows a willingness to learn and develop. Um, so I think that's a real big part of it. Um, yeah. So, so for what, what Quinn did um, going back to your original question, um, he answered a lot of that. And I'll, I'll speak to the small school players in particular. Every year we've seen this. Uh, my first year, it was eye-opening. I've been coming to the Senior Bowl for, for over 20 years as a scout. Um, and I, I never really noticed it quite as much as I do in this role. For some of the small school guys, there is a lot of nerves and a lot of wide-eyed moments when they come down here. And even for some of the big school players, I mean, this is still, you're, you're getting around the best of the best. And I think there's a little bit of nerves for all these players. But my first year here, we had some small school guys in the game that it looked a little too big for them. You know, you could tell they, they didn't have that self-confidence to really come down here and compete at a high level. Um, and and what, what I've done the past few years when we're inviting small school guys like Quinn is I'll reach out directly to people around him on the coaching staff um, or any other people on that staff I might know and pose, pose that question right out, of, right out, you know, being very transparent. Like, will this guy be able – to get through the week without being too, too wide-eyed to be overwhelmed by it. So um, yeah, back to Quinn, what he did and some of these other small school guys this year was uh, they did a great job. How difficult is it, Jim, trying to showcase some of these smaller school guys? I mean, for example, we, we were, Cameron and I traveled to New Orleans a couple of years ago to watch the Saints, and I kept seeing Green Waves t-shirts everywhere. I didn't realize it was, you know, the Tulane Green Wave. But, you know, uh, Cam Sample is, is an example of somebody that, that's coming from a slightly smaller school. How do you weigh things up? How, I mean, I would presume getting on the senior bowl roster is pretty damn hard. And you want to make sure that every pick counts to get there. How hard is it for these guys to make that? Yeah, I mean, it's we're talking about 100, 120 of the best players in college football every year. Um, hopefully our numbers will go up this year. Uh, two years ago, my first year at the game, we had 10 first round picks, which is getting harder to do because there's so many juniors in the draft now. Um, mm. But we've had 40 guys go on each of, in the first three rounds each of the last two years. Um, so hopefully this year that, that, that's even better, but those are, those are pretty strong numbers. So it's, it's very competitive. Um, but for, you know, that's part of the responsibility in this role is bring the right small school players. So there's always, a, uh, there's always a, a little doubt in your mind as a scout, when you go into a smaller school and you might see a guy dominating that level of competition and, and kind of being a man amongst boys. Um, but there's still that cloud of doubt, like what would he look like up against the guys from the, from Alabama and in Michigan and, and Notre Dame? Well, how would that look? So bringing them here, it, it erases that doubt. Um, so we, we, we always want to bring the small school guys, but the right small school guys. Um, and again, that's why we just, we, we lean on relationships with, with guys in the league and, and really put it to them. Is this a guy you'd want to see in the game? So we really try to take a consensus of what we feel about the players as well as what the NFL feels and and trying to bring the right guys in. For the second year in a row, we've not had a combine. Do you think that that's significant still with the impact to some of the players? Is that missed opportunity with that centralised location a massive thing? Or actually, is that going to give some uh, some other players that are perhaps on the edge that wouldn't have been invited to the combine a better opportunity to go higher up in the draft? 
Um, I think the biggest point with the combine is now it's great for all of us on the outside to watch it on TV and watch the 40 yard dashes and in the bench press and all those different things, the feats of strength and whatnot. Um, that's fun for us, but, but for the NFL, the combine is really critical for the medical evaluations and, and, you know, just being there all those years, um, at the combine, that's the most taxing day on the players by far. They're, they're literally going into 32 different rooms and meeting with 32 different medical staffs. So if you've had a if you've had a shoulder issue over your career, you're going to go in and you're going to have 32 doctors and training staffs grabbing your arm and twisting and turning it in every direction to to check that shoulder out. So um, they don't have they didn't have that this year. Obviously, they in a normal year, the number is 350 to 400, somewhere in that range. They did bring 150 players to Indianapolis this year for the medical um, checkup. But but that's, you know, now we're talking over 200 players that these teams don't have full medical evaluations on, which when you're investing millions of dollars up at the top of the draft, especially um, that's a big missing piece of information. Um, if you're, if you're the general manager and you have to make that call and tell your owner that he's going to be signing a $15 million check to a player, you want to feel good about, yes, he's got a clean bill of health. We feel good about his health. So um, that's, that's, that's really what's made uh, the no, the non-combine years difficult. You're right. I mean, this is a multi-million pound business. I think, you know, in the, the level of detail that, that you go into. I mean, I was going to ask, I mean, it must be hard for these kids. Every move, for example, at the Senior Bowl is watched, whether they're, you know, actively practicing, standing on the sidelines. I mean, you mentioned it, even things like players wanting or being available to play another position, how they interact with individuals. I mean, it must be quite stressful for them to be known they're under such a spotlight all the time. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, and, and I lay that out to them. Um, when we have orientation meeting the very first night, when all the players come in, we, they go through physicals, we get them registered. Um, and then we get them up at night and we go through an orientation after dinner. And that's what, one of the first things that, that I tell them, I said, guys, you, you are, you are being evaluated 24 seven. Whenever you're out of your hotel room, there's eyeballs on you and everyone's watching what you do. So they understand that it is a stressful week. You know, there's a lot crammed into the week. They're Like I said, they're learning a playbook. They're having to go out on the field and execute on that playbook. They're meeting new, you brought up a great point. They're meeting new teammates and trying to gel with new teammates. Um, they're in these interview sessions with the teams where they're getting grilled on maybe some things they've done off the field that, that are hard to talk about. Um, so there's all these different layers of stress, but that's kind of by design because the guys that can make it through the week and, and, and navigate that and do a really good job, I think that shows the NFL teams that this guy's ready to do it. He's mature enough to handle it. You know, he's got his stuff together. We can feel good about this player um, coming out of Senior Bowl week if he did all, if he, if he, you know, checked all those boxes. So they know that we're, we're very straightforward about it. I think they know what they're getting themselves into when they come. Um, because there's great benefit. There's a great benefit of being here and just the exposure. And especially a year like this year with, with no combine um, and never really getting face-to-face -face interviews outside of, of our week. I think that, uh, you know, these guys making the picks, the GMs and the head coaches, they're just normal guys. It's, I think it's human nature to gravitate to people that you're familiar with. And, and hopefully our guys have a little bit of benefit this year because these teams are more familiar with them. There's more tape on them. They're face-to-face -face interactions with them. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is a stressful week. There's a lot on these guys. What does your week look like then? You know, it's, we're about we're, <laughs> where we're now, as we're recording this, we are just over a week away from the Jacksonville Jags being officially on the clock. 
what does the next week look like for you? A lot, uh, a lot of it, a lot of this, uh, a lot of talking. I'm already, I'm, we're a week out and I'm still, I'm already tired of hearing myself talk, um, but it's fun. It's a lot of fun. I think, uh, you know, I can't wait for this next week to, it's going to fly by because it's a busy time. I think it's great. Like being on with, with, with you guys and I'm doing another one, uh, another podcast uh, with a group in Ireland. Um, so to see the, the global um, reach of the NFL, it's exciting to me. I mean, this is a sport, in a, in a league that's always meant a lot to me from the time I was a little kid. So to see it, to see the growth and the reach is, is awesome. Um, and then come draft day, it's very different than working for a team. You know, as a team, there's so much sacrifice of like, as I talked about being away from your family, the, 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 the stress demands of travel and all those things um, you get to draft weekend and you're just excited that you're adding good players to your team and you're in your building for a, for hopefully a, a Super Bowl um, winning team. So on this side, I mean, I, I'm, I enjoy this side just as much because I, I'm seeing 100 plus players realize their dreams. You know, we get close to our players here at the Senior Bowl. They've worked so hard to get to this moment. Um, they've sacrificed so much. Their families have sacrificed. So for them to come to this stage and finally realize the dream of, of being an NFL player, um, it's awesome. You know, to, to get on the phone with them afterwards and hear, the, hear it in their voice, how excited they are and see them on TV when they, they got the cameras on them in their their draft parties or whatnot. Um, it's, it's, it's a ton of fun for everyone in our office. The, the draft always looks amazing. Before we talk to you about who you might think, you know, might go one, two, three, et cetera. Well, we know who's going one. Just a couple of questions that I've got for you. How do you judge mercurial talent against possible downside? So a name, for example, like Antonio Brown, all the skills in the world, but comes with issues. How do you, as a, as a scout and somebody talking to NFL teams, how do you evaluate a talent like that? The risk reward factor. The talent's sure got to, uh, the talent's got to justify the maintenance. Um, that's for sure. The more talented you are, the longer leash you get. There's no doubt about that. There's more, there's more chances you get. I think Antonio Brown's a great example of that. Um, but that's how you, you have to balance it. Um, frankly, the college programs have more support staff. Uh, you know, on hand to really take care of these players. And the NFL doesn't have that as much. You better be able to come into the league and stand on your own two feet and, and, and be ready to uh, just handle the, the lifestyle. You know, all the, all the things that come with it, the money and, and, and everything that comes with being famous, um, you have to be able to handle that. So, again, you, you do have to – all of the risk-reward stuff, um, those are some of the deepest conversations in draft rooms because there are those – those quote unquote boomer bust players or, or risk reward players every year. And you do spend way more time on those sorts of players um, because if you do hit on them, you have a usually a difference maker type player. And in order to win Super Bowls, you need those kind of difference maker players. So that's, that's what, that's what you're, that's exactly what this time of year is being spent on in the, in those 32 rooms. But, but occasionally, I mean, it, it simply doesn't work. I mean, the, the, the one that people talk about from last year is Isaiah Wilson going to Tennessee. Now, some suspected he may have been taken a little bit too high, but to have a, a first-year draft bust so quickly, I mean, that must put pressure on the executives at Tennessee, as well as we've got to feel sorry for the player. However it worked out for him, nobody likes to see a player not succeed. 
No, absolutely. And, and, he, and even if Tennessee had not taken Isaiah Wilson in the first round, someone was going to take him in the second round. He wasn't going to yeah. slide that much farther. He, he was a talented guy. So again, that goes back to the, the whole, you know, evaluate, you're going to miss on the person a lot more than you're going to miss on the player. Isaiah Wilson, the player had the talent, had the body, had the athleticism to be a good NFL player. Um, you know, what really undermined it, as we're seeing now, is more some of the stuff he had going on in his personal life. And I'm with you. I hope that that's okay. Yeah. Uh, we saw Miami trade for Isaiah. And, and you know, Brian Flores, the head coach in Miami, went to Isaiah's high school. And I guess there was a relationship, you know, dating back some years. And that's why Coach Flores took the chance. Um, and it didn't work out there very quickly. So, um, but, 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 yeah, that's it's teams are moving on. And I think smartly um, when they, they can identify a mistake made. And I think the worst thing you can do is sit on that mistake and try to prove yourself right. Um, And that's a, that's a delicate balance too. You want to you want to try to help rehab these players um, and give them an opportunity with a second chance. Um, So that's a really, there's a lot of fine lines when it comes to uh, obviously dealing with, with human beings. Um, We, you know, we're all complex people. So, um, that that's, those are the really finer points of, of away from the field that, that these teams are dealing with. So let's bring it on to this year's draft. Then obviously Paul talked about it there. We pretty much, I mean, nobody knows, but we've got a pretty good guess that, you know, Trevor Lawrence is going to go number one to Jacksonville. Z- Zach Wilson's heading out to New Jersey to wear the green. Uh, after that, we've talked about Mac Jones potentially going to San Francisco. As a Niners fan myself, I'm definitely watching this one with interest. Do you think it is Mac or do you think they go someone else? How much of this is smokescreen? How much of this is rumor? Or what do you think is going on in the background? If I had to, if I had to guess, I would think it's Mac um, for a, for a couple reasons. They, they had a long exposure to Mac uh, down here in Mobile. John Lynch was here. Um, he saw him that week. They went to the Alabama's first pro day and he and Kyle Shanahan saw Mac throw there. Um, you know, they went to North Dakota state's pro day and saw Trey Lance throw there. John and, and Kyle did. And at the time of the trade, they had not seen Justin Fields. So I have a hard time believing that they traded up to three without having that one person in mind. And I can't believe that. I don't think that person would be someone they haven't seen throw or at least got in front of and met face to face before. I just, I just have a hard time believing that. Um, And then when you talk about Trey Lance and I think he's got tons of potential and talent and we had some of his former teammates from North Dakota state here in the senior bowl. And I, I asked about, about him. And I know some, a bunch of guys on the staff there at North Dakota state and they rave about Trey. So it sounds like he's an A plus kid, young man, um, very, very intelligent. The tape is great. Um, but he's got whatever it is, 17 career starts at a small school level. Um, I have a hard time believing that San Francisco would trade all that draft capital to get up for someone with Trey's resume. Again, I might be completely off. It might be Justin Fields. I don't know. I think we're all we're all guessing. Um, I think that the only, maybe the only two people that know are Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. They might have closed the ranks already at this point and trying to keep that a, even a secret in the building. But if I were to bet, I, I would think it's going to be Mac. Do, do we see what we would describe over here as shenanigans about teams basically trying to be covert about who they're after? It, does all that go on or is that just for the movies? Um. I think a little, maybe. Um, I think that some. I think there are leaks. 
um, you know, with, with most teams. I think there's some people that, that get, get the word out into the media, maybe use the media a little bit, um, you know, because there's, there's also that, that give and take with a team over the course of a year. Usually the general manager controls the message coming out of the building um, and the media is coming to him for information. You know, when they sign a player and contract information, like they're scratching the, the, the press is back, the media is back, so they can announce that, that piece of information that helps them. Um, and then when they might need him around draft time, maybe they, they plant a, a false story out there. I, I, I don't know. I never sat in that GM chair, so I have no idea how that works. But, but yeah, a lot of stuff comes out this time of year where, like, whatever you call it, smoke screen or what have you. Um, it's just kind of like, where's that coming from all of a sudden? Like, we, that, has, that hasn't been part of the narrative yet. But uh, that, that, that's what makes this time of year really interesting because we all, we all can – pontificate and talk about this stuff and go in a million different directions with it who are the other players then obviously the quarterback story we could we could fill a whole podcast and naturally they always draw the headlines for you looking beyond the quarterback position though who are the guys that you're really fascinated to see where they land uh, I mean, you look at the top of the draft and, and I, I don't think Kyle Pitts isn't going to last long, the tight end from Florida. I will be interested to see. I think he goes first of all the we've called them pass catchers in this draft so we can include Pitts with the three wideouts. Um, but I'll be interested to see where Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell all end up and what that order is, because I was at the LSU Pro Day a few weeks ago to watch Jamar Chase. Um, and I talked to a lot of guys from around the league and just kind of threw that question out to them. Like, how do you guys have these three guys? Because they are, they're all very good players and they all bring a unique skill set to the table. They're very different guys. So, um, you know, I think if you ask five teams that they might have, you know, five different orders, but um, to me that there's some intrigue there where, 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 where that receiver thing shakes out Um you know, where, where, where the wide receiver thing beyond that, like where, where does that run start on that second tier? It's a very deep offensive line class. So see how some of these offensive linemen shake out. I know that, you know, Penny Sewell, Rashawn Slater, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker from USC, those guys are all being talked about at the top, but it's an incredibly deep offensive line class, both at tackle and on the interior. It's a great year to need offensive line help. So, um, you know, those are all those are all really interesting things. To, the positions of depth. When do when do those start really getting picked off? And Jamar Chase is an interesting one because obviously opted out last season. It's very much riding the stats from the 2019 season. We were lucky enough to see LSU in 2018. We saw LSU play Rice. That game, I went back and had a look, Paul. Jamar Chase had one catch for 45 yards, but we saw him play for LSU, so we'll count that. <laughs> Consider Absolutely. him scouted officially. Um, but obviously, you know, he's riding on the wave of a fantastic 2019 season and actually there's a lot of people have have touched on the fact he was wearing number one while Jefferson was wearing number two and there's a lot of people looked at uh, Chase as being that number one receiver you see the success of Jefferson do you think stuff like that then goes and makes does that increase the value I guess of Jamar Chase it, it I think it I think it definitely helps him you know that to see look at the year that Jefferson had as a rookie uh, I think I think he's you know I think Chase is benefiting a little bit of that. There's some good shine coming off Justin Jefferson right now, uh, but Jamar's a, a a very talented player, very different um, than, than Jefferson. I mean, he really plays bully ball. He plays a real power game. He's so strong. He's so physical um, that that it's really unique. And then at the pro day. Um, to watch what he did, it, it surprised me a little bit in terms of the explosive numbers. You know, he was 
40 inch vertical jump, 11 foot broad. Uh, I timed him at four, three, eight. Some of the scouts behind me were like four, three, six. Um, so I mean, get you're talking about a phenomenal talent. I mean, the only reservation that I have, and it's not a big reservation at all is what will, will Jamar's, will his game carry over? You know, he's so big and physical at the college level, but the NFL is a different deal. Usually guys that play that power game um, are bigger guys in the NFL. They're 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", you know, 220 pounds, 230 pounds, like Chase Claypool a year ago. You know, Chase was 6'3 and a half, 238 pounds and ran 4'3", 8". So, I mean, that's a much, much bigger person. We're talking almost 40 pounds and four inches or three inches. So, um, again, I, I think Jamar is going to be a great player, but um, that would be the only slight reservation I would have. In term, terms of volume, in Cardarius, Tony, and you also mentioned, you tweeted this the other day about Josh Palmer of the Tennessee Volunteers. I think you said that his figures, while on one level look okay, if you actually analyze him playing against the better teams, the figures are really impressive. Sometimes you, you've got to do a little bit more drill down work. Yeah, I, I don't think you can look at just the raw bottom line production numbers for any of these players. I, that's one area where um, the tech video technology has really helped scouting. Back in the day, you know, when, when I got started to see a wide receiver, you had to run through play by play of every single game. So you would go through four games and see a guy catch 16 passes. So it was exhaustive to do corners and wide receivers. You know, I mean, those guys were where you, you'd spend hours and hours, I mean, days looking at uh, one guy. So um, now you can filter that, you know, by every ball ever thrown to them or, you know, what a lot, what a lot of teams do to that particular post you, you talked about, about with Josh Palmer, you can filter it down based off the grades you have in your system on certain cornerbacks. So you're looking, we call them prospect matchups. So if you have, you want to take every corner you have graded, graded in the fifth round and higher, from the last two drafts, you know, even guys that are rookies that currently go back to his junior tape. So you've got two years of exposures of guys that, that you guys, that your team feels are draftable players that will play in the NFL. And then just look at those plays. Um, and when you look at those plays for Josh Palmer against, you know, Patrick Sertain and, and some of these other great corners that are in this year's draft, I mean, Josh, Josh had success against all those guys and, and wide receiver is a very dependent position. You know, the quarterback's got to be accurate. Um, the quarterback's got to have enough time to get the ball out so the line has to protect. So you can't always look at what a receiver has done in an offense um, and just say that's what he is in terms of production. Um, so that's where I think that the league is – the league's on to Josh Palmer. I think it, there's a lot of people that are big fans of Josh Palmer around the league because he beat a lot of good people. Are there any other significant names – sorry, Paul. Uh, any other significant no. names that – you sort of think might have been slightly overlooked that you think are going to be top talent. Who are the, who are the guys we need to look out for, I guess, on day two? Who, who are the names that are going to be stars in your eyes that maybe haven't quite stood out as much as some of the others? Well, you know, if, I, if we just stay at the wide receiver position, um, it's, been, it's been very talked about because of the three guys up at the top and then guys like Kadarius Tony, Elijah Moore from, from Ole Miss, and Rondell Moore from Purdue. Like there's, We've really been talking about the same seven, eight guys, Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. Uh, but when you look beyond that group, uh, a lot of these guys are smaller guys in this draft, a lot of slot-type receivers. I, I point to Nico Collins at Michigan. Now, this guy's 6'4 and a quarter, 215 pounds, and he ran 4'4", 1, 4'4", 2. 
Um, I mean, that's a unique guy in this year's draft. If, if you if you go back to 2019 tape at Michigan, Nico played at 230. So a 215-pound guy to 230-pound guy, they move a lot different. And the league saw that in Mobile with Nico. He was so much twitchier and quicker, you know, with the 15 pounds lost that uh, he's a guy that's really exciting because he's not being talked about and he does have kind of a unique skills package. And then another guy staying at the same position, uh, a guy like Amari Rogers at Clemson is a guy for me that there are, he is a, sh- a little shorter guy too, because he's five, nine and a half, but he's 213 pounds. So he's 30 pounds heavier than some of these other slots that we're talking about above him. And he's got that running back skill set. He's great with the ball in his hands. Um, I compare him very favorably to Debo Samuel um, from the 49ers, who was in the senior bowl a couple of years ago. I think they're very similar players. Um, and Amari's not being talked about a lot. So there are a bunch of good players on, on, on day two. Just if you go back to last year and you look at, you know, the Chase Claypools and the Michael Pittman Juniors and, and guys of that nature, there was a, there was a, there's going to be plenty of receivers on, on day two that you're going to get on the field next year and get, get good production from. Yeah, it's interesting too because, I mean, you also mentioned that you think that the draft is quite rich in rounds three and five at the, at the correct positions. And it, it, is it right? I mean, is it easier to find the big hits in one and two? Does the gold come in three, four, and five? Does, does that where you make your money as a scout, as a GM, to sign the right people at three, four, and five draft rounds, which give you that competitive edge in the end? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Three through, yeah. Three through five, three through six. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the scout's favorite day. Three is the scout's favorite day of the draft. I mean, that's where you, you mean you can help your football team most importantly um, because you're getting cheaper labor in the door uh, where, um, you know, say you've got a guy going into his fourth year and he, he has a monster contract year and he's, you know, he's in free agency at a big dollar value. Well, if you draft well, maybe you've got a fifth rounder coming in at a cheap level for the next three years after him or the next four years after him. So you need to constantly be replenishing in the bottom end of your roster and developing those guys up where they become really good players. So those rounds are critical from a salary cap standpoint and from a, a, a depth perspective. And we all see the attrition over the course of an NFL season. Look what it did to the, the 49ers last year. One year removed from the Super Bowl, you know, they bought them out last year because of injuries. I think they had the most cap money on injured reserve of any team in the league. And that you saw it in their wins losses in their win loss record last year. So yeah, those are critical, critical. And then for the scout in particular, yeah, you can, you can build your name, you know, within your group, within your building um, by hitting on some of those guys and really pounding the table for some of those guys. So looking beyond wide receivers, um, what about you as a scout? As a scout, you know, you talked about how hard work it can be to scout, and certainly in the, in the days before all the technology. Is there a position that you enjoy scouting over the rest? Um, quarterback for me, but it's because I played it. I think most guys like to watch the position they played. Um, you know, I like watching offensive linemen. I really do. I think because there's so many shapes and sizes that can play up there. Um, that it, that it, that it's fun. It's a challenge. And, uh, for, I just like, I, I do like watching the big guys. I really do. And then what about your draft night then? What does it look like for you? Do, will you sit down? Will you crack a beer and sit and watch the show or is your phone on and are you receiving calls all the way through it? 
Um, no, I mean, I, I'm watching it on TV like like you all are. I mean, I have particular interest in our, our senior bowl guys, but, uh, you know, my phone, I might get a text or two over the course of, you know, over the course of the draft from from a friend in the league or something like that. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll be texting buddies after they take certain players, you know, uh, congrats, great pick, that kind of stuff. And then uh, like like this year, for example, we're having a big draft party out at the stadium we play the senior bowl at out on the campus of South Alabama. Uh, this brand new great stadium we moved into this year. We're having a draft party out there on Friday night for rounds two and three. And we're going to play the, the draft up on the Jumbotron in the stadium. We're going to shoot fireworks off every time a senior bowl guy gets picked. Um, so, you know, our, our senior bowl committee members and our sponsors, they can all bring their kids out and run around. We're going to have South Alabama football players out there playing with the kids during the event. So that's going to be Friday night. And then uh, Saturday, I'm actually going to be up in Connecticut, um, doing ESPN radio stuff for day three of the draft, talking about those fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round guys. That's fantastic. I mean, I, I love the draft. Uh, I think not last two years ago, I was actually on the Isle of Skye in a place where there was a really bad internet signal on the on the last day of the draft. And honest, me and my mate were up there. We were huddled around this tiny screen trying to get internet signal to see these guys that we had not, hardly heard of but we wanted to know who was going where it's so important it's so important and when you're you're starved of football action for so long the draft just reconnects you back to the nfl it reminds you that you know football is coming back it's coming back soon uh, we're going to get the schedule by the sins of things in early may as well so it just it just brings it all back home makes you feel like do you know what the nfl is going to be back in no time and hallelujah can't wait till week one comes around again yeah, the NFL's done a nice job of spacing out the calendar year where they never really leave for too long, right? There's always, whether it's the schedule release or the draft, um, the combine, they, they, they do a great job with that. But it, it's Christmas morning for us, right? I mean, we, we get to, it's like unwrapping the new gift and seeing the, the, the new toy that you got to, your team's going to have to play with the next season. So I think, I think what the draft represents is hope. Uh, we talked about parity being so big in the NFL, and that's why the NFL is so such a popular league is there is parity every year. You can go from last place to first place if you have a good draft. So um, that's what it is. I think that's why we all love it. Uh, and it's great that you guys were over there in Scotland and you guys love it too. Uh, so, so, um, but I feel the same way. I felt that way my whole life. Brilliant. Right. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. But before we let you go, we do, we talked about this at the top. We need to put his name out there. Paul, we need to get David Ajabo mentioned in this one. So it's a, a name for you to write down in circle for a couple of years' time. So David Ajabo, yes. David Ajabo at Michigan, playing linebacker, um, was born in Nigeria, brought up in Aberdeen in Scotland, moved over to New Jersey uh, in, in, like, when he was in his late teens for high school to play basketball, was told he wasn't quite going to make it for a basketball scholarship, but he should try football. He played one year of football, at high school level, and then got taken to Michigan on the back of it. He is six foot six. I can't remember his size, but he's put on a lot of muscle since he's been drafted, let me tell you. <laughs> he ran 100 meters in something like 10.6 or something like that. Like, he's wow. fast. So, a good Scottish boy, and let me tell you, we've sent him over. A, he's been sent his NFL Scotland hoodie fairly recently. He loves, you know, he, he, we try and catch up with him when he comes back home. Uh, a great talent, so one that, um, well, we've got you. It's only right that we put him on your radar, right? <laughs> well, it, it, since you put him on the radar, if he ends up in Mobile in the game, you guys got to get over here. You got to get over here and be a part of it. Deal. That's a deal. Absolutely. <laughs> We're trying to get over to Ann Arbor as soon as we can. David's promised us a tour. So, you know, obviously, 
He, um, he, he got some time on the field last year as well. Obviously, Michigan going through that transitional period a little bit at the moment. But what a great place for a, a, a Scottish talent to go and play. And I think it's one of the things that we're very keen to do is continue to grow awareness of the game. I, I'd like to see more and more people from the UK given that opportunity to go over. We've got the NFL Academy down in London. We've had some Scottish guys there. Uh, we know of um, a couple of guys that have had the opportunity. One one who's the son of a guy, that, a Scottish guy that played for the Scottish Claymores. He's going to have his opportunity as well. He's a Linemen. So, you know, great that we're seeing that pathway become international. And hopefully years to come, that senior bowl is full of guys from all over the world who've, who've got 101 different ways that they've made it to that senior bowl. Um, and absolutely, it's something that we love following the stories. It's just fascinating. It's great to see these guys come from a variety of backgrounds to this fascinating game. So, um, you know, we're very jealous of the job you get to do, that's for sure. <laughs> no, you, you do have to get to Ann Arbor too. I'm a little biased there being a Michigan grad, but that's a, that is a great place to see a football game in the fall. So uh, appreciate you putting a guy on the radar. We love it. Fantastic, Jim. It, it, it's been an absolute privilege having you on. We'd love to have you back at some point in the future, perhaps to talk about how the how the draft's gone and uh, the impact of, of some of the people. But certainly in this week, just before the draft, we really appreciate your time. We know you're a busy guy. Thanks for joining us on the NFL Scotland podcast. Yeah, guys, this was fun. I appreciate you having me on. I'd love to come back. Paul, brilliant insight, brilliant information from a guy. And genuinely, I said it at the end there, what a great job he's got. Yeah, I mean, it's one of these jobs that, that is fantastic. And I thought he made a very interesting point. You know, on the road a lot as a scout, you know, the, there is a lot of time away. There's a, you know, there, there, there's a downside to it as well. It, it's it's not all Kevin Costner glamour um, <laughs> of, of, of draft day. So I, I think it's a really interesting context. And I think what I always like with, with, with people who I consider to be experts in the field is they lift the curtain and just give you a glimpse of what it's like. And actually, I thought Jim, Jim did that and more, really set the scene of how everything works, outlined the, the senior bowl absolutely brilliantly and what it means. And, you know, and we, we got that interesting look between, you know, the absolute talent of people and their character and all the family issues and the things that, you know, can go wrong or can go right. And I, I just, I found that fascinating. Um, and brilliant content from him as well. Really fascinating to get that insight uh, the week before the draft. Um, one thing that we do need to talk about very briefly, and we'll start to get some of our thoughts here, um, is the NFL Scotland writers on the NFL Scotland website have put together a mock draft from everyone who, who's been creating content for us and including the NFL Scotland podcast team picking for our own teams. Of course, I got to go in at number three. But uh, the most important thing here is, first of all, go check out that article. It's, it's really, really good. Everybody's picked who they think uh, and given a little bit of an explanation. Spoiler alert for me, at number three, the San Francisco 49ers. I, I think, you know, <laughs> I'm in denial here. I think Jim's right. I thought it was a fascinating point. To trade what they've traded without having sat down with the player, it probably isn't going to be Justin Fields, but it is Justin Fields that I've selected. Um, purely because I just feel like off the players with the talent, he's got the greatest upside. I know that Mac Jones is in the conversation, and I can understand why. Uh, just for me, the trade and the, the, the amount that we've given up for that player feels a little bit off and just a little bit squishy. I just... Yeah, I get it. If you really love the player, you're going to give up what you need to give up to go get him. If you think that player is the guy, and maybe they do think he's the guy, um, it, it'll be fascinating. It'll be fascinating. 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I, I have to say the writers have done a brilliant job on our mock draft. It's really, really interesting. And Charlotte Campbell, who's picked for the Denver Broncos, had Mac Jones fall to number nine uh, in the Denver Broncos. I think if that were to happen, I think Denver would be absolutely thrilled because I am fairly certainly will not necessarily expect him to be there. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's just a fascinating draft. I mean, you know, Rashawn Slater, who, you know, Ian Stevens gone for for the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm not going to give them all away, but there's, there's just some fascinating stuff. There's a few players you think, well, I wonder if they'd go higher, but we did it. You know, we just sent it all the way around. You know, this person's gone, this person's gone, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, I'll let you in with another little secret. I've not drafted a quarterback for the Saints. How should, about that? Should have. I should have done, but I didn't. <laughs> so there. <laughs> Absolutely. Go check that article out and let us know your thoughts. Um, we also have our predict a pick competition. Well, yeah, predict a pick competition. We do this every single year. We've created a group on the official NFL dot com website uh, keep your eyes peeled for that one on social media we always try and get as many people in that as possible we've had some really good performances from uh, people that listen to this podcast as well so be sure to take part in that bragging rights is a given we might well have a prize as well for the person who does best so keep your eyes peeled for that one we'll be tweeting out the link and all the details over the next couple of days um i, I it's so much fun doing this stuff do you know what it's one of those things march madness was the basketball thing i know next to nothing about college basketball but I love coming up with my bracket trying to look at the analysis and try and understand what's been going on to try and find that sneaky little team that's going to do better than anybody expected and I'm terrible at it I suck every single year but I have great fun doing it Uh, and that's the most important thing so for you Paul what does your draft night look like though do you sit up and watch it or you go to bed and catch the highlights the next day I try and hang around for the first few picks because I like to see what's happening um I, to be honest, a lot depends on my work schedule, whether I've been out, out and about. I mean, for example, I, I was up in Inverness on Tuesday night, I was working in Glasgow on Wednesday, and I was up at six this morning to go and do another piece of work. So if, in a week like that, no, my poor wee body can't take it. I need my beauty sleep. <laughs> You're uh, but, Yeah, well, absolutely. I, you're getting older. I'm just getting more experienced. There's a difference. Uh but you no, know, I, I do. I genuinely find it fascinating. And with most events, Cameron, I would rather watch it live than watch it recorded. There's always an edge about a live event. Um, and there's just something. And, you know, you do get that occasional jaw-dropping moment where you think, why have they ignored Player X? Because they're still on the board, you know. And it's all about, you know, it's not always best player available. Um, sometimes it's having a look to see, well, if there is a standout, cornerback but you don't need them but next up is your divisional rivals who does you know is there a little bit of shithousery and you just take the guy anyway you know there's all of this wonderful you know wonderful things that go on I, I, I just love it I think it's one of the highlights of the year and I think just as well as the NCAA package up March Madness which like you a couple of years ago I was never bothered about college basketball I just started to watch it one day and, and completely fell in love with it. In fact, I probably prefer that to the pros game at the moment, just with the way that things are. And, and it, I just find this fascinating as well. It provides so much content. And you are seeing hope. You're seeing hopes realised. You're seeing dreams realised. But you're seeing young men who, this is only the next step of the journey. It's one thing to be around one draft pick. 
ask Isaiah Wilson. It's another thing to go on and actually fulfill your promise. And sometimes we forget a little that th these are people. It's interesting the, the, to talk just very quickly about baseball. Uh, Sutsugo is, is a Japanese baseball player that the, the Rays took a chance on, if you like. And uh, our, our, our radio host, um, Neil Solons, went, went off on one slightly on the radio because he's fed up of hearing this class as the Susugo experiment. You know, he says this is a human being who's been brought in because, you know, they think they can do the right thing. And I think sometimes we get a little bit lax in our language, but the excitement you know, we want every every first round draft pick. You want to succeed, perhaps bar the your most hated rivals. You want them to succeed and do well, and because it's exciting for the game to see these young men, you know, progress and and live out the dream. Let, let let's be honest, you and I would have loved to have been drafted first round in the NFL. <laughs> it was never going to happen, not in any alternative universe. But it would have been nice. How, there's a question: How many rounds deep would a draft have to be for you to be picked? <laughs> at your best ever physical ability? That's a question for a future podcast. <laughs> I, I, that's, that's also a great social media post. I'm not sure there's a, a, a high enough number. I'm not sure that there's much room in the NFL for a very talented left wing in soccer, uh, to give it his term, and a very average fullback in rugby. So I'm not really sure how high I would have gone. <laughs> Um, other news that's kind of breaking at the moment. Breaking. Uh, it's not breaking news, but it's news. Expanded jersey numbers uh, is a fascinating one. This is one that's kind of come around because of COVID and the issues that teams had with practice squads and having to do some jiggery-pokery. But the NFL have looked at this and they've really opened things up, to be honest. So I'm not sure if you followed this one, Paul, but the expanded jerseys will now allow running backs, tight ends, fullbacks, halfbacks and wide receivers to wear any numbers between 1 and 49 and 80 and 89. Defensive backs can also choose from between 1 and 49. Linebackers between 1 and 59 and 90 and 99. Offensive linemen will be between 50 and 79. Defensive linemen between 50 and 79 and 90 and 99. Quarterbacks, kickers and punters will remain 1 to 19. But that does mean we're more likely to see wide receivers wearing numbers that they probably wore at college. So, you know, Jamar Chase might well wear number 1, which is something that we haven't really seen from wide receivers recently. I, I don't mind it, but I don't particularly like it. You know, to me, quarterbacks, kickers, etc., are, are your low numbers. I don't want to see them on wide receivers. That, that just will will look somewhat wrong. Uh, unless you're Taysom Hill, who wears seven because he can play anywhere. So that's fine. <laughs> I was going to say, wide receivers have <laughs> been wearing single digits all season long. <laughs> exactly. I got there before you did. Uh, um, a couple of rule changes as well. Not a massive lot. To pull out of this, the, the league's approved expanded booth to official communication. The hope is that this will lead to fewer errors on objective calls that could be clearly seen on television. I guess anything to improve that, I don't see as a bad thing at all. The onside kick yep. proposal from the competition to co committee to limit the receiving team to players in the setup zone has been approved. The hope is that the tweak is going to make onside kicks easier for the kicking team to recover. Fine, as long as they're not making it ridiculously easy. I don't think that's the case. It's still loaded in the favour of the receiving team. Um, so the Eagles tabled their 4th and 15 alternative. Uh, Philly apparently still believe that there's uh, a future for this, but they're quite happy to, to try this other one first. Again, I like that. Very pragmatic. Let's try this and let's have 
options in the background. Uh, owners have eliminated preseason overtime. Why the hell was that ever a thing oh. in the first place? Um, there is also a proposal to change the hiring, uh, the coach hiring cycles, pushing back the start of interviews for all clubs until after conference championship games and no hires until after the Super Bowl. That's been tabled for more discussion by the diversity committee. Um, so that's fine. I can understand why teams do want to push that back. You don't want your coach having to be interviewed and you don't want your coach to be uh, not be able to be interviewed because you're having a good run. So it's, it's an interesting one, that as well. There's a rule proposed by Chicago to ensure the enforcement of all accepted penalties committed by either team during successive extra point uh, try attempts. So technicalities, to be perfectly honest. And then finally, the Rams have added a loss of down to a penalty for a second forward pass from behind the line and for a pass thrown after the ball returns behind the line. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think they're just being unnecessarily picky. It's like, come on, boys, l- let's get on with it. I mean, who honestly expects the Rams to complete a pass anyway? So let- let's <laughs> l- let's not go there. I mean, a, a couple of stories that have come, come our way. Alex Smith has announced his retirement. Uh, there's many saying that the Comeback Player of the Year award should be named after him. I'm I'm all for that. I um, think yep, I don't I, I don't think it's an overreaction. I mean, my my biggest fear when people retire or you know give up the game is you know you can often get an overreaction. I don't think that is an overreaction. Uh, Mike Tomlin signed a new deal in Pittsburgh, um, so poor Mike Tomlin has to stay with the Steelers for another three seasons. That them's the breaks. Uh, and I would just like to announce, and this is an exclusive for the podcast, that I have withdrawn from the European Super League as well. You're very welcome to go. Um, <laughs> the Cincinnati Bengals have unveiled their new uniforms. Uh, some friends of ours might have leaked that early, but we'll not touch on that. Oh yes. Um, what, any initial thoughts on the on the kits? They're 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 not massively dissimilar to what was there before, but you don't see massive change. I think they're pretty nice all round. That white kit is stunning. I think that's the one that works for me, the white with the black, unfussy. And I just think that is a killer design. I really, really, really like that jersey. The others are okay. Um, it's not a disaster. And we have seen, uh, you know, for rebrands, disasters in our time, you know, the LA Trumps and things like that, you know, with the logo. Um, I, I think it's very, very classy. I don't think you have to get excited. I don't think you start need to put your team name down the pants or anything like that. I don't think you need to be daft. I think that's classy and simple. I don't. I still don't like Atlantis changes. Uh, I thought they might grow on me. Uh, I still don't like them. It just shows it, it's little things that you can get wrong and I think the Bengals have, have got that right mix of playing it safe and just looking classy and uh, I applaud them for that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. So I think the white, it's so hard because every, obviously the, well, the vast majority of the road kits are just white. So there's only so much you can do with it. But I think the the sort of the tiger stripe on the shoulder is really clean. I actually really like the the all black with this, the orange uh, stripes up the side. It's, it's subtle without being ridiculously in your face. So I, I like it. I like that as well. I think they're really clean, um, quite nice. So yeah, all good. Um, yeah, good stuff. Uh, I agree. Alex it, Smith needs um, a, a special mention. I can't believe I forgot that that happened since we last met. There's been so much going on, but um, you know what a great what a great player he was. Um, you know, perhaps never quite had the success that he could have deserved. A great game manager, but I think 
that injury and that comeback really got everybody behind him. Uh, and and I saw someone put a tweet saying love him or hate him, and I was like, who hates Alex Smith? Like, <laughs> I I just looked at that and it jarred me. I was like, you know, there's lots of players that you could be like, I oh, love or hate this guy. Alex Smith. I was like, I don't. Hey, who hates Alex Smith? We want to hear from you because we want to put you right. Why do you? Why would you hate Alex Smith? There's nothing to hate there. A, a great game manager, brilliant to see him come back. I think I'm all for it. I think absolutely we should. It should be the Alex Smith comeback player of the year. Um, that's exactly yeah. what the trophy should be. Um, to to have done it, to get out there. I mean, how nervous we all were when he was back out on the field. Not even just that first game, but for the games afterwards, we all felt for him. In a way, I'm glad to see him retire, um, so that he doesn't put himself at risk anymore. Wouldn't like to see anything like that reoccur. Uh, but yeah, what a great player, uh, a really good career, um, and we wish him all the very best as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Potential future head coach, I think. There you go. I'll put that out there already. Urban Meyer potentially looking at him to go to Jacksonville already. So I think there's a there's a, there's a a real coaching potential in there. Yes, absolutely. Well, we've been prattling on for a while. Um, this, is, this isn't the last podcast before the draft, but this is the full-time whistle for episode 143. Thank you for taking the time to listen. As ever, please share your thoughts on this on social media at Scotland NFL on Twitter and search for NFL Scotland on Facebook. Jim Nagy was our guest. He was absolutely tremendous live from the USA. Don't forget, check out our website, nflscotland.com. The NFL Scotland mock draft for 2021 is live and ready. We're going to be back with a bit more draft chat next week. We're going to be talking specifically about quarterbacks ahead of the draft, all the action to come. On behalf of Cameron and myself, Thanks for listening. Bye for now. We need to just add one little bit at the end here. There's an article on the NFL website. Tom Brady on expanded uniform numbers. Good luck trying to block the right people now. Um, going to make for a lot of bad football. Because of a number oh. change. I don't no, I don't, I don't quite get that. No. That's, no. That's just... I don't yeah, it's that. a bit Brady-ish, that, isn't it? Yeah. Definitely yeah. a bit Brady-ish. I don't quite understand that, to be perfectly honest, because I, I, I'm assuming what we're not... There's not going to be two players of the same number on the team. So No, I mean, you, you occasionally get that in... In college, and I, it happened to me once. Glasgow Warriors went to Canada to play a friendly, and Glasgow Warriors had some like thirty-five players. And at times there was two number sevens or two fourteens on the pitch. Try and cover that. No yeah. freaking idea who these people were, you know. Um, but no, they're not going to do that to us. So no, that's Tom Brady being a bit of an early bit of Bob Agerty from Tom Brady. Shut it, Brady, you Bob Ag. Is exactly what we'll say to that. There we go. There's there's the audio trailer. <laughs> Nobody gives out abuse quite like you, Cameron. Honestly, that's that's brilliant. <laughs>